0: Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive above all. Clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. In preparation for this week's message, I started to think about the passage from the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is talking about, judging other people. And he warns us about this. Jesus says that, you know, when we look at the sins or the faults of others, we often are like people who see a speck of dust in someone's eye, but we fail to see the log sticking out of our own eye. You may remember this. So to me, it inspired me to think about it in this way. When we think about our own faults and our own errors, we may not see them as clearly as the people who know us best. The people that know us best, like our family, our closest friends, our spouses, may see the inconsistencies or even, again, the faults in our lives. So to test this theory out, I talked to my wife yesterday, and I asked her, um, what, you know, what thing, small thing, I'm sure, would you change about me? What's something that I get wrong consistently that I need to work on? And her response was, am I only limited to one thing? (laughs) You know, we all, no matter who we are, struggle in some part of our lives and in some part of every relationship we have. There is no relationship that we have that is perfect. You know, there are no perfect people, of course, other than Jesus. And so, in a sense, all of us are doomed to make a mistake in some part of our lives. But thank God, we often have people in our lives that are willing to forgive us. Amen? So, I want us to think about what it means for us to have relationships that can go the distance because of forgiveness. There was a a Sunday school teacher who was teaching second grade children. And she was going on and on and on about the Apostles' Creed and about the Lord's Prayer, about the forgiveness of sins. She was trying to make sure that the second graders understood that these, these passages and these important parts of our worship remind us that we have to confess our sins before we're forgiven of our sins. So she summed up her lesson by saying... All right, kids, what has to happen before the forgiveness of sins? And after about 20 or 30 seconds of silence, a boy from the back sheepishly said, we have to sin. (laughs) Again, we don't have to worry about that because we're going to do it anyway, aren't we? We're going to make mistakes. So what we do after we make a mistake and how we treat others when they make mistakes are part of our discussion for today. And there are going to be situations that are beyond the scope of everything that I can cover today. There are some issues that are so large that it takes a more complex approach. So know that going in, that there are many different ways to the path of forgiveness today. We've been talking about real relationships in this series over the past four weeks, and then now today. And a real relationship, we said, is on the foundation of four characteristics or four uh, practices, elements. Now, there are many more than these, of course, but we chose to focus on commitment, oneness, uh, respect, and evolving together. Every relationship has to have those four elements in it for it to continue to grow and to thrive and be healthy. But again, we are going to make mistakes along the way. And so this additional thing that maybe not is a core foundation or element, but is an essential practice of relationships is forgiveness. There are six words that a United Methodist pastor says are essential to relationships that can go the distance. And it all has to do with forgiveness. Those six words are, I am sorry and I forgive you. Notice that there are two parts to this, because there's the person who did the wrong, and then there was the person who was hurt. And both of them have a response. I am sorry, and I forgive you. You know, sometimes it may be pride. It might be selfishness. I don't know what it is, but sometimes it can be difficult for us to admit our faults, to admit when we've done a wrong Now, sometimes it's a technicality. We didn't mean to do it. It wasn't what we intended to do, and yet it still happened. We might try to defend ourselves, but that maybe isn't really the point, is it? Once when I was a younger pastor, I was writing an article about this wonderful family in our church who was about to adopt a child. And, and I was writing about just the beauty of this, that this family was going to open up their home and and uh, bring this child that was not born to them into their family. And I said it in such a way, unfortunately, that made it seem like adopted children were not real children in the house. And that is not what I meant at all. And, and, and it was my fault for not wording it correctly. And so a few parents were upset and came to me and talked to me. And I could have sat there and argued with them about the spirit of what I was saying. I could have sat there and tried to defend myself and I thought, I've accidentally hurt these people and it doesn't matter what my heart meant at that time, even though it was on the good side. I need to apologize. And so I did. And I apologized in an article in the next newsletter because I felt it was important to honor that hurt had been done and I didn't intend it to be done. You know, when we think about what it means to say we're sorry, it's not just about what we've done, but what we may have unintentionally done. When I talk to couples that are getting married, I often talk to them about how to express their frustration or their anger when they are in some sort of a conflict between themselves and I just imagine one of the people in the, the marriage getting upset one day and saying, you don't love me because if you did, you would, you know, something. And, and all of a sudden that emotion, that hurt becomes like daggers thrown at someone instead of an opportunity for restoration and forgiveness. Instead, one of the things I talked to them about is learning how to phrase your feelings in ways that are more conversational. When you do this, it makes me feel like this. Do you see the difference? One is aggressive and one is stating how you feel, which you're the only person who can say how you feel and allowing the other person to be in conversation to say they 're sorry because some people and some of you know this, some people are wired in such a way that if they get attacked, they are never backing down, are they <laughs> they 're not going to back down they 're going to stand their ground. So we need to work in ways that create these opportunities for i'm saying uh, for saying i 'm sorry" and saying "I forgive you." If relationships can only last if we can find ways to restore these relationships. We've got to create opportunities for that. To say I'm sorry for what you did, to feel sorry for it, and even to feel sorry for the things you didn't intend to do but happened, and trying to walk a mile in the other person's shoes so you can understand how it felt. I am sorry. Owning up to what we have done is one of the keys to restoring a relationship, but it also has to go with... I forgive you. I forgive you. Now, I want to tell you, forgiveness and reconciliation are different. There's a saying I found online recently, and it is, forgiveness is for you, but reconciliation takes two. Right? Forgiveness is for you, but reconciliation takes two. You can forgive a person, but the only way to restore a relationship is with both people taking action. It's very difficult to restore a relationship when only one person is doing something. Forgiveness is that first step is saying, I'm letting go of the anger. I'm letting go of the hurt. I want to open the doorway to restoring things. Now, sometimes it's not easy to do that, is it? Because the depth of the wound can be pretty deep. Learning to forgive is a process, not just a statement that we say with our lips. It means opening the doorway for the other person to apologize. It means doing what we can to seek to let go of that anger. And sometimes it takes time for that to happen, to let go of being wronged. It doesn't mean to forget it or to let your guard down. It just means to let go of that instance. We don't need to be people that are trampled on, but we also don't want to harbor Ill will. Because over time, if we do not forgive, it takes a toll not only on our emotional health, but also upon our soul. Recently, uh, the Mayo Clinic released an article and it talked about what happens to us often when we fail to forgive. When we fail to forgive, it says we often bring anger and bitterness into new relationships and new experiences. We become so wrapped up in the wrong that we can't enjoy the present. We might become depressed, irritable, or anxious. We might feel at odds with our spiritual beliefs. We might feel at distance with God because that lack of forgiveness is doing something internal to us. And we might lose valuable and enriching connections with others. My wife, Julie, uh, talks about forgiveness and the lack thereof of dealing with this burning sensation inside of you. It's an anger. It can be white hot and it just burns inside of you. And if you bottle it up and you don't deal with it, the flames get hotter and brighter and wider and deeper. And all of a sudden, before you realize it, you've been bottling up this frustration and anger and hurt and not letting it out, not letting it heal. And all it's doing is burning you out from the inside. So you're harming yourself by bottling this in. Instead, we need to let it out. Now, sometimes flames come out. Sometimes smoke comes out. We've got to deal with that. We've got to learn to deal with that in appropriate ways. But the more that we can begin the process of forgiveness, the more our relationships have a future together. Paul says in Colossians that... Uh, John Henry read for us today that we need to bear with one another. We need to bear with one another. We bear with one another because we're committed to each other. In our friendship, our family, we want to stick together because we've made a decision and we care about these people. And so if we stick to them, we have to bear with them, even their rough edges. Some that can be fixed over time and some that cannot. We have to accept the ones that cannot change. We have to be patient with the ones that can change. We bear with one another. In fact, in the New King James version of that text, Colossians 3.13, instead of bearing with one another, it says, be long-suffering. That doesn't sound as good. I'd rather bear with something than be long-suffering. But it means the same thing. To bear with one another is to be patient, to work on something, and to allow things to heal over time. To bear with one another when it's appropriate. And then Paul says that we must forgive. And he doesn't say that we should just forgive and forget. He doesn't say that. He says we need to forgive just as God has forgiven us. A theologian once uh, said that if you were to count up all the sins that somebody did against you versus all the sins that you've committed against God, there is no comparison. There are way more sins against God than sins against you. That doesn't make those things right, but it starts to help us understand that God is in the forgiving forgiving business and has been actively forgiving each and every one of us our whole lives. And so extending forgiveness, if that's what God has done for us in those significant relationships, if we can learn to do this, if we can learn to be a little vulnerable and try to let these things go then these relationships have the potential to go the distance instead of allowing these things to self-destruct. There's an ancient practice in the church that helps us understand how to deal with forgiveness. And this is for forgiveness within the church body itself, the congregation. We practice this now every Sunday, at least since the fall. We took a little break during COVID, of course, and it's the passing of the peace. Now, when we do the passing of the peace in worship, we often shake people's hands. How are you? Good to see you. Hadn't seen you in a while. That's probably not the best thing to say in a church, is it? We typically greet one another, and it is hopefully, it is hopefully cheerful and wonderful. We are glad to be in the Lord's house together. Isn't it better to be here than to be apart? Isn't it better to be uh, connected online, to be in a church family, even though we can't be physically in the same building? But that's not what passing of the peace began as. In the early church, there were people in the church that had stepped on each other's toes figuratively. There were people that had grudges against one another. There were people that had sinned against each other. And before they were to come up to the altar to receive communion, They were encouraged to make peace with one another. They were encouraged so that they could meet God face to face with the weight of their sins lifted off of themselves, go and make peace with one another. And so instead of just greeting one another, they would go up and say, I am sorry. I forgive you. So that they could be in the right state before they came to the altar. Next Sunday is going to be really interesting now for the passing of the peace, isn't it? There's some groans. I don't think people are going to do it. Okay. But you get the idea, right? When we make amends with each other, it not only begins to heal our relationships together, it begins to free us to be in a better relationship with God. The Mayo Clinic says when we carry around this lack of forgiveness, when we carry around anger or resentment, it ends up eating us out from the inside, and it can even create a wall between God and us. Letting those things go may feel wrong for some reason, and yet God is the one telling us it's the right thing to do because it will heal those significant relationships, and it may just open up a space for more grace in our hearts. Jesus healed a man who was paralyzed in Matthew chapter 9, and after he healed the man, he told him, take heart, get up, and walk. Take heart get up and walk. One of the few places where Jesus says, take heart. And I don't think he just means be courageous. In a sense, I wonder if Jesus is saying to him, be joyful, be thankful, take heart, be full of heart, because the weight of sin, the weight of oppression, the weight of whatever was separating you has been lifted, and you can be free to get up and walk. And he leaves Whatever it was that was ailing him, not just the medical illness, but also the other sins behind, and he runs away, skips away freely. In a sense, when we practice the ancient work of passing the peace, or we learn to forgive and to say, I'm sorry to one another, it's a practice of taking heart, restoring relationships and letting those sins and letting those errors and letting those mistakes go. Again, there are deep wounds that need a lot more healing than this. And words and a few actions aren't the answer there. It's long, sustained reconciliation. Forgiveness takes you. Reconciliation takes two. But at least for those smaller things, those little things that build up over time, the more we learn to let go, the more we learn to forgive, the more our hearts can be healed. And the better heart we have, the better relationships we have. Paul fi- finishes his two uh, verses there in Colossians by saying this. He says, "Clothe yourselves in love, which binds it together in perfect harmony." Which is exactly what I think we're saying here. The more that we learn to forgive and restore our relationships, the more harmonious our lives can be, our relationships with be, and the more harmonious our relationship with God will be. I hope and pray that during this series, or even just today, there's been something in your mind, some person, some relationship that you've been thinking about that may not be as healthy as you want it to be, that you want to restore, you want to take the necessary steps to increase commitment, to become more one in mind and in faith, to have more respect in or to evolve together, to grow together. Maybe you've been growing apart, and now it's time to grow together. Or maybe there's a relationship that needs those six words, I am sorry and I forgive you. I hope you will take the steps necessary to make those changes. But if nothing else, as long as you have done the work, as long as you have opened the door, as long as you have reached out, as long as your heart is open, the other persons may not change immediately, and that's okay. But God's grace can do amazing things even over long periods of time. Reaching out, starting the process, that's the faithful thing we can do to begin the process of having a real relationship. Would you join me in prayer? Most holy and living God, we thank you for this day and we ask that you would be with each and every person online and in this sanctuary, that you would be a part of our most significant relationships. We know we are only as healthy as we are in in wholeness with you, and we are only in wholeness with you if we can find the right relationships that sustain us and keep us encouraged to be your disciples each and every day. Help us to have healthy relationships, oh God, that we may continue to long serve you. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.